When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is our round table. It is back. So it's Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Lamory, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, and me. We are making declarative statements about the Cleveland Browns. We each throw out two of them and then we discuss. So that's coming up here on our first round table of the 2021 Browns season. Now, if you're not a football insider, subscriber, the Browns start their season on Sunday. You've got to get involved. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click that blue banner at the top of the page. Get all the information you need. Get signed up. You get a, a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. All right, here we go. Our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a roundtable coming your way. We are back with roundtables. It's Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Lamers, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko. And today we are doing declarative statements about the 2021 Browns, what could happen this season, player performances, whatever you guys have. Uh, kept it pretty open-ended. We're not going to get too much into the Chiefs game just because we're going to do a lot of that stuff on Friday. But uh, we, we kind of picked a draft order here. It's not really a draft, but we did pick an order. And Mary Kay gets to lead us off. Mary Kay, you're first. Brown's declarative statement here. I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield plays well enough in the first couple of quarters of the season, maybe not the full half of the season, uh, but the first, what, six, seven games of the season uh, that he earns his blockbuster contract extension by the trade deadline. I like it. Doug, this is right in your wheelhouse. (laughs) <laughs> great to be back on the orange and brown talk podcast uh i'm as long as we're talking financials i'm good to go uh but this is see this this i'll accept because it's from mary Kay, first of all and second it's like a very specific thing that has multiple parts and has some specificity and is football related so mary Kay, you have actually got me hooked on money talk about the browns which is almost impossible to do so congrats on that yeah, I mean, when I guess when you're talking about Baker and his extension and his future, uh, you know, there's a lot of buzz about that. So we can get away with it when it comes to Baker, I would think. Uh, but I do think that he will come out, you know, all guns blazing right from the jump. He's got Odell back. Uh, he's going to have another speed stricter that he can throw the ball to down the field and Anthony Schwartz. He's got so many weapons. They know what to do with him now. And I I think he's just going to establish himself week by week to the point where it's just going to make sense to wrap him up. And I think he's going to get up there in the $40 million range, uh, just like the other guys. Yeah, that's what I was was just going to ask if if that APY would sit right there at 40, which I believe is, is that Dak Prescott range? I know Deshaun's 39 and Pat Mahomes all the way up at 45. Josh Allen falls somewhere in, 42 43 so it seems like Dak would be right in there and that would be 
where this number really has to fall if we think Baker has the year that you're projecting Mary Kay. And it would be curious to see on if, if Baker happens first, then that would push Denzel back or if somehow they both happen around the same time, maybe it'd be a little ceremonial considering they both of course were in the top five of that same draft. And that's just where this has to head. I mean, the, the, the wheels really would have to come off if Baker doesn't play like a quarterback worthy of that contract. And this really is just going to time out extremely well for Baker considering the Browns roster construction, uh, the likeliness of them being a double digit win team and an AFC North winner and potentially number one contender uh, type quality team that Baker now lines up for exactly what Mary Kay's forecasting. It makes sense from the standpoint that when you get to that point in this season, that six, seven games, and you add it to what he did over the second half of last season, you kind of, you would have, I guess, the equivalent of a full season of really good play from Baker. Um, so, yeah, I can totally see that happening. Uh, it would be good, I guess, to get it out of the way at that point because, man, there would just be – like if he, it takes kind of the pressure off. If you get to that midway point of the season, he has the contract in his back pocket, and then you just kind of go from there. You know, there's no worrying about is he going to sustain this through the season. The contract's done, and then they can just concentrate on football from there on out. I mean, can you imagine this team at like six and two having just beaten the Steelers again, right? The Steelers are game number eight, I think, right before that trade deadline. And then Baker signs his extension. This city would be, I mean, they would be going crazy already, but then you extend Baker and make him your long-term answer at quarterback, which I, I mean, he already is, but like this would just be putting it like in writing. Um, I mean, the hysteria would be through the roof, Mary Kay. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, what a way to, to head into that home stretch where you're really trying to make it to the Super Bowl this year. I mean, it, it really would add some fuel to that fire. Uh, by then, Baker will have sufficiently, uh, you know, proven what he needed to prove, which, again, a lot of times I think he does a great job or some of his best work when his back is against the wall, when you tell him that he can't. And so he goes out and he does that. He establishes himself and then he gets rewarded. And I think it would just be another infusion of, of energy and life into him. And, uh, and I think it could just kind of carry him into that very difficult home stretch and, and into the playoffs and, and maybe be just the, the catalyst to get them over the top. Okay, Scott, you are up. I have picked number two, man. I have a few different ones. I have one that has to do with Baker, but I'm going to skip that one for now since we just talked about Baker, and I'm going to go to my uh, my second one here, and uh, it's about Nick Chubb. I think that Nick Chubb matches Jim Brown, at least matches Jim Brown's record of 17 rushing touchdowns in a season. Ooh. That's the franchise record. Uh, Jim Brown actually did it twice. He did it in a 14-game season and a 12-game season, so Nick Chubb's accomplishment would be nice, but it would be 17 games. It wouldn't be as impressive, but still 17 rushing touchdowns. That's what Derrick Henry had last year. Derrick Henry also had 378 carries. I don't think Nick Chubb's going to get close to that. But I like Chubb having a legitimate chance for this because, number one, he had 12 touchdowns in 12 games last year in Stefanski's offense. He would have a full healthy season, 17 games, and even though they have a lot of weapons, his – ability to break off those long explosive runs just makes him a threat from just about anywhere for a touchdown. So I think that's my declarative statement. I think Nick Chubb matches Jim Brown's record of 17 touchdowns. Now, is that just rushing touchdowns? Yes. Okay. 
right. This one feels iffy with all the weapons. Yeah. Anybody on board with this one? I, I could see it. And we, we've talked about it on Gotta Watch the Tape, uh, Nick Chubb's inefficiencies as, as a goal line runner. Scott's been all over that. So it would be nice to see those numbers just improve if they don't or maintain about where they were last year, which I tend to think they will stay as they were last year. As you watch Nick Chubb, he just isn't the type of goal line runner that the the ones that can find the the slight seam there can, can get. He's more of a straight line or a cutback type of guy, uh, which again, Scott's gone into. So if he does hit the 17 touchdown mark and the touchdown efficiency near the goal line stays about where it was at. That means it would have to be what Scott said. He's hitting from everywhere, which then would make me think this Browns offense becomes a top scoring offense. You, you would still see Kareem Hunt have double digit scores. You'd see Baker Mayfield uh, creep closer to 30. You'd see perhaps David and joke. You just would see this offense be more robust in total than it just be a Nick Chubb increase, which is where I'm leaning for this year anyway. So I, re I really can see it. It just would be Nick Chubb, like Scott said, doing what he was doing over a 17 game sample size compared to 12 and scoring from 50 out from 60 out from 37 out at the clip he was a year ago. Okay. I like this one. I mean, it's bold. This is what we're looking for right here. I like this one. It's bold. Do you think it can happen? You know what? Oh, Go ahead, Mary Kay. Go ahead. Um, you know, I think it can happen. What I wonder about with this team this year, I actually kind of think that they are going to uh, use, as I've said before, three wides more. They might not run the ball as much as they did before. And I just wonder if they're not going to pass it more in the red zone this year than, than run it. Um, so it, it is bold and I like it and I could see it happening. Uh, I saw that Peter King has uh, Nick Chubb projected to be one of his top three players to make NFL Offensive Player of the Year this year. And it would take something like 17 rushing touchdowns uh, to pull that off. Uh, but I just feel like there's so many places to go with the ball this year and so many ways to pass the ball and score the ball through the air that I, I, don't, I don't know if he's going to get that far this year. Also, I think they have established that Kareem Hunt is so formidable in the red zone and at the goal line, both running and catching that, um, that, you know, I, I don't know that Nick is going to get as many opportunities to do it as he did last year. He's certainly capable of doing it. He's certainly capable, but every single time I look at a guy and what he's capable of this year, I think, but how's he going to get those chances? How is he going to get those opportunities? So I'm going to say, I think it's going to be tough for him to get to 17 rushing touchdowns. It would be great if he did. It would be really cool for everybody involved. Fans would love it. Um, but I'm going to say, I think it's going to be very challenging for him to do that. I do think it, I think this is going to happen on this podcast. And I think it's happening among fans. Probably if you add up all the upside for all the different offensive skill players, I think you'd wind up with like, a hundred touchdowns and 40,000 yards of offense. And it's like, well, I think Odell's going to do this. Well, I think Chubb's going to do this. And like, it's, it's going to be statistically impossible for everybody to peak from a number standpoint. So I think you have to try to figure out like, where is your peak? I know Mary Kay, I know you've tweeted things about, and maybe you have a David and Joku point that you will make later, but 
if they're going to use the tight end in the red zone and they're going to run the ball, well, then how much, how many touchdowns will the receivers score or whatever that I don't, I'm fascinated to see how they go about scoring, especially in the red zone, because they do have a lot of options and not everybody's going to max out their, their potential here. Yeah. But I think what I like about this is like, we all sort of have to choose, right? Like Scott is choosing Nick Chubb here, right? If, right. You know, he's saying Nick Chubb is going to be the guy. He's going to score 17 touchdowns. So th- this sort of makes us all choose like that one guy or those two guys that we think uh, are going to be great. I mean, look, if the Browns have some games like they did last year where they're running out the clock and Nick Chubb breaks one of the breaks a few of those big runs and scores. I, I mean, Scott, you, you were kind of hint, hint, you know, hinting at this. I mean, that's sort of how it happens. He, he racks up some of those big rushing touchdowns. My only concern would be, Maybe it would be a little bit like that Philadelphia game where he broke off a big run and then Kareem Hunt came in and finished it. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's a little bit of a touchdown vulture for Nick Chubb. So I, I think it might be his backfield mate that could uh, steal some of that thunder. All right. Oh, go ahead. No, that was good. All right. Doug, you're up. Okay, so we want bold, right? We want bold because I'm trying to come up with the right number because <laughs> – you know, I, I want to be bold. I'm not, I'm not the boldest guy sometimes. So I, I want to be bold, everybody. Here's my <laughs> bold pick. I'm going to say Odell Beckham will average 80 receiving yards per game. Now, I'm putting it on per game because I don't want to attach a total and have him miss three games or whatever. And Plus, it's a 17-game world, and we're all getting used to it. If he would do that, that would basically put him like in the top 10 in the NFL in receiving yards per game. If you go by last year, Tyreek Hill, the last four years, average per game, 78.9, 92.4, 71.7, 85.1. So like, that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's like a top 10 receiver in the NFL in yards per game, but I'm envisioning a world where there are a couple games where he goes bonkers and they hit him for a couple big plays and where even his not great game is more like a 58 yard game so that when he drops a 141 yard game, it, it all evens out. Um, I, I, it feels like a lot. He was like at 45 last year. I was at 60 something the year before that with the Browns. But if I'm going to be bold, uh, Will Fuller was, was 10th in the NFL last year with 79.9 yards per game. So if Odell's averaging 80 yards per game, he's going to be like 10th in the league in, in receiving yards per game. And I just think he's going to integrate in. They're going to do a better job. Baker's going to get him the ball more effectively when he's open. Stefanski won't be afraid to take those shots. And I think it happens. Could this be like a three catches for 80 yards? sort of deal like I think yeah he's he's kind of your primary deep threat so maybe the catch numbers aren't high but he's averaging I don't know 20 yards a catch or something like that yeah that that feels that feels possible to me that it's that it's in that that kind of range DK Metcalf averaged 81.4 yards per game last year 15.7 yards per catch right that I think I think it's a pretty high number I mean that is that would be <laughs> Scott's face. What whoop, when I said it like that would be if you add that on top of 
the run game and what the tight ends might do and Jarvis being Jarvis and Hey, here comes DPJ. Like, but I just think he becomes like a primary thing that maybe Odell gets his at the expense of a couple other guys, because I think he has a chance to be an Odell that, that we have not ever seen in Cleveland, 2019 in Cleveland, 64.7 yards per game, 2020 in Cleveland, 45.6 yards per game. But in New York, 108, 96, 85, 75, 87. So he topped 84, five years in New York. I think we get close enough to New York Odell that we see it. So, Scott, why did you react like that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about, uh, like, what he averaged last year, and, and Doug just went over it. Um, like, Stefan Diggs, though, did average 75 yards, a little over 75 yards per game. Was Stefanski calling plays in 2019. Um Beckham's yards per catch actually went up. Uh, his depth of target actually went up last year compared to the year before with, uh, you know, Freddie Kitchen and Munkin calling the play or, you know, designing the offense. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but that would be that would be quite a, a bump up, I think. Uh, and it certainly would put him back in the category or make us think about him in the way people thought about him when he was with the Giants. Uh, he needs that kind of bounce back situation to kind of just get the narrative of his career back on track. Um, I don't know. That's a lot of downhill, the downfield throwing, I think, unless the Browns suddenly uh, throw a lot of slants and he's breaking all these long runs like he used to with the Giants. The Browns don't really do that much, but hey, anything's possible. I mean, we have, we have high expectations for this offense because of continuity and all the talent. So I'm not going to say anything's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, once again, I see big things for Odell coming this year. I think he looks really great in practice. He looks so healthy. I know he's rejuvenated, and he is really 100% bought into the whole Kevin Stefanski thing. I think he's so excited about this season and really wants to contribute in a huge way. So it wouldn't surprise me uh, you know, if, if he has a tremendous year from a production standpoint. Uh, but once again, in this particular offense, I keep wondering how – how is everybody going to be able to contribute and do what they uh, do what they need to do and keep teams off balance? I think they're going to spread it around a lot more than a lot of these guys are going to want them to. Uh, I think each week you're going to have two guys that are going to feel really disappointed. They didn't get the ball more. Maybe we'll even hear them say something like that occasionally. Um, I, I just think it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a pick your poison year where, Baker Mayfield is going to go to the open man and he's not going to care if the open man has three pro bowls or four pro bowls or is supposed to get 1100 yards this year. He's just going to throw the ball where, where he's supposed to throw the ball because he has the confidence in himself in this offense now to do that. And I don't think he's going to have any voices in his head this year. So if, you know, if, if they're doubling Odell and Donovan Peoples Jones is open, he's going to, Donovan, or not necessarily open. Odell will take the tight, I mean, Baker will take the tight one-on-one -on -one matchup. If that's Donovan Peoples-Jones, that's where Baker's going to go with the ball. So I think it might be hard to get 80 yards a game for Odell, but I don't know. I mean, it could, it could definitely happen, but it is a lofty goal. I liked Scott and Mary Kay both ended their thing with, 
well, anything could happen, which is just like the kiss of death. <laughs> it's like, well, of course, I mean, anything. It's the nicest thing they could find to say. Well, I, I mean, I guess anything could happen. So I, it, it's probably too far. Ellis, do you, have Doug's, do you have Doug's back on this? I don't. And not because I feel one way or another on it. I have decided after thinking about this that I need to go on an Odell Beckham junior prediction hiatus immediately after this podcast and just lay low on the Odell stuff till like mid-October because I really can't figure out how they're going to use Odell in this offense especially early Uh, you know not like at training camp we could get a good sense of it with how much he was off on the side and, and of course not involved in teamwork and then I'm actually I'm rewatching the, the Chiefs Browns playoff game right now. And you notice a lot of similar personnel groupings amongst their wide receivers. Of course, that's because it's who they were had available to them. But it's it's Jarvis. It's Peoples Jones. It's Higgins. And I'm starting to wonder. OK, and then you notice Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt be used more sparingly. Right. They, I have it in front of me. They only played uh, 52% of snaps each Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Meanwhile, Jarvis Landry played 91% of snaps in that game. So now I'm starting to think, okay, what if using Odell, the way you use Kareem Hunt may better maximize his productivity while remaining diverse in your groupings. You can pair Anthony Schwartz and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Jarvis, and then throw out Higgins and uh, OBJ and Schwartz. They're, they, they're going to have a more diverse grouping options available to them but then you remember that's never how Odell and Jarvis have been used even before Odell's injury you know he's out there for 88 90 percent of snaps along with Jarvis so I just can't get a pulse on how Odell is going to be deployed but then I fall back on what Scott said how the the blueprint of a Stefan Diggs season in Minnesota with Kevin Stefanski is exactly how Odell gets to about 80 yards per game. And that's exactly who Diggs was, was that downfield threat, that that second and 12, that first and 10 play action. And all of a sudden you're gobbling up 44 yards through the air and you get to 80 pretty easily. Like you said, Dan, three for three for 80, four for 90, something like that. So I would be hesitant because I'm wondering if, it's just going to take Odell too long to get into a consistent rhythm with this offense to creep towards that 80 yards per game mark. But I fall back on Stefan Diggs. It's possible. And I think the best version of this Kevin Stefanski offense has a Stefan Diggs type deep field element, which is Odell Beckham jr. Okay. Ellis, you're up. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring us back to Baker here. I'm going to compliment Mary Kay's, point here well to me Baker Mayfield will have a top 10 season throwing for 4,100 yards 35 touchdowns and only 10 interceptions it's time it's year two in Kevin Stefanski's offense he's got a full training camp best offensive line in football two top 10 running backs two 14 million plus receivers two top 10 tight ends an opportunistic defense and Mayfield really must unlock that Heisman Trophy winning version of himself, considering everything GM Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski have put in front of him. And if this does happen, when this happens, which is just a Kirk Cousins mold, if you go look at Kirk Cousins numbers a year ago, very similar, 4,200 yards, 35 touchdowns. Baker will be right on his way to that contract that Mary Kay talked about, but it has to first actually happen. And he has been set up better than any point in his career, of course, and really since his college days, clearly to maximize his ability 
in this offense and show the best version of himself, which is exactly what I laid out between 41 and 42, 35 touchdowns, nine or 10 interceptions over a 17 game season. This is actually related to another one on my list, which was Baker Mayfield's going to break Brian Sipes record of 30 touchdowns in a single season. So yeah. And that stood since 80. So it's been a while. Um, and just beyond everything Baker said, I mean, the whole, the NFL has moved this way, you know, scoring is up like the top, 10 passing seasons have all happened. Uh, was a, I think the top six passing touchdown seasons have happened in the last eight years. So everything's trending this way. And I think it's just, I mean, he had 26 touchdowns last year or 27 last year, 26 as a rookie, or I got that the other way around 27 as a rookie. Now it's 13 games. So yeah, 17 games. I think that record's fallen big time. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know how bold this is, but it is accurate. We'll, we'll be accurate at least. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know what, Ellis, I, I, to agree with you I mean if you look at Kirk Cousins and most of the guys that play in this scheme these are the kinds of numbers that they put up I mean it's just not unusual it's the Kyle Shanahan Gary Kubiak Mike Shanahan now Kevin Stefanski and also Sean McVay and everybody else offense that that quarterbacks Good quarterbacks really, really put up humongous numbers in. And now Baker's going to be able to do it in a full season instead of just half the season. And we're not going to have three of those weather games like we did last year, back to back to back. Uh, So I think that it lends itself to a lot more touchdown passes. He went three games, I think, without a touchdown pass, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And that's just not going to happen this year. I don't see that happening at all. Um, so I, I think you're, I think you're right on with those numbers. I think that's the formula. Uh, even when you listen to a guy like Dan Orlovsky, when he, he studies these guys in their second year in this scheme, and this is about what they do. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're worth your, your weight in, uh, in QBing, these are the kind of numbers you're going to put up. So I think those are within reason. I mean, Doug, what do you, oh, go ahead. I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss uh, uh, the weather. Uh, the Browns have a few home games in December. Uh, they also play, uh, you know, at New England in November. I mean, it could happen, but. Yeah, Green Bay on Christmas. On Christmas, yeah. yep. yep. Yeah. At Pittsburgh, you're right. Yeah, at Pittsburgh on a Monday night in January. Yeah, there will be some weather games. You're right. I take that back. There's going to be some weather. I'll, I'll add this. I what I'll be watching just as closely is Baker's completion percentage. If he can get closer to that 65, 68 range, I think he sat like 62 or 63 a year ago. And the, the weather isn't, of course, doesn't help that, but Baker having more opportunities in short passing and getting some yak, maybe a, a more efficient screen game. Uh, and then can clean up just those, those, strangely inaccurate throws like this is this has got to be the year where he puts his professional top 10 mark on the league and you do that by getting up to 65 70 rather than on the low end but still remaining opportunistic and explosive in your downfield and your touchdowns let's see a a complete body of work with that completion percentage tick up as well and and i would expect that the trend we saw towards the end of last year the browns throwing earlier in games exactly. on earlier downs i would suspect that's going to continue um into the start of this season whereas last year i think they were a little conservative with baker um early on in the year uh, okay i'll give you guys mine i've said this on the podcast before i'm just going to put it out there as, as my declarative statement 
Miles Garrett is going to win defensive player of the year this year. There's no doubt in my mind. Miles Garrett's going to win defensive player of the year. I'm not allowed to throw out any ifs or anything like that. I think the only reason he didn't win it last year is because he got COVID. He's going to do it this year. Strip sacks. He's going to, he might set the Browns record for sacks, whatever. He's going to end up as the defensive player of the year. Yep. I, I love that. I've, I've got him at 20 sacks. I, I, it's time much like Baker to just put a full year together. And when you look at him as a, as a defensive end, he continues to upgrade himself each year physically. And that means that move set is only becoming more diverse and complete. And you're coming into a miles who, despite the sheer dominance we've seen throughout his entire career already, is not hit a peak and, and Dan, this, this is it. I, I completely agree. I think there's a couple sort of contextual things that would be in his favor in like from a voting standpoint, I think people are probably tired of voting for Aaron Donald because we know he's good and he's yeah. won it three of the last four years and people want to vote for somebody new. And also I think Baker, or excuse me, I think miles is going to be the award representative for a very good Browns team that they don't have Patrick Mahomes, who's, you know, who's going to be the MVP of the league, or they don't necessarily, they're going to spread the ball around offensively a lot. So when people look at the Browns and see them winning and they want to reward the team with individual awards, Miles Garrett is the guy that people are going to go to. So I think, you know, if there's a close race or something like that, there's just a couple things that'll work in his favor. In addition to the great skill and talent. I think this is so hard to handicap because it's, it's a voted thing, you know, and like even last year with how good of a first half that Miles Garrett had, like the TJ Watt, I think was still, there was more hype around his season and he, Stat-wise, was probably having a little bit better season as well uh, than Miles Garrett. So there's like a lot more to it that goes into it than just getting strip sacks and you know making game-changing plays. It just there's a visibility aspect to it, and um, I mean the Browns are on prime time enough for him to to get that kind of exposure, and everybody knows who he is at this point. Everybody expects him to be good, but there's these, there's just other aspect to it that you're never really sure. You have a great year at the end of the year. Everybody's like, yeah, but Aaron Donald, you know, and then that that's the end of that. So uh, I think he's certainly in the conversation and capable of doing it, uh, but it just, that's hard, man. There's like just this whole hype perception kind of thing that goes with voting on that. Well, the, you know, the conditions are all there for it to happen, right? Everything is just perfectly set up for, you know, for him to finally achieve this goal, especially with uh, Jadavian on the other side of him, if he can stay healthy, I think that will make a, a tremendous, tremendous difference. And I'll tell you what, I've been so impressed with what I've seen of Tack in practice. Okay, Doug, you'll be happy to hear that. Tack looks, Tack looks really, really fast off the ball. I mean, lightning quick off the ball, just an unbelievable speed rusher. And I think that that's going to provide an excellent change up. And I think it's going to make people think and leave things, some things open uh, for, for miles. They probably won't be able to, you know, to maybe triple team him or double and chip him and do some of the things that they've done, done to him in the past. Cause they have other things to worry about. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, everything is there. He's got everything around him now uh, where, where this can happen. Um, again, it still is incredibly hard to do, but if it is going to happen, 
I think this would be the year for it to happen uh, because yeah, just because of every single other condition that's right around him, providing again, that, that a Jadavian stays pretty healthy and that, you know, every year it seems like Miles has something weird that happened, you know, that happens, whether it was the helmet or the COVID last year. So he's got to hope that he just has a drama free year where he can just stay out there on the field because the, the year that he did play all 16 games is the year that he almost set the Browns record for sex in a season or actually he didn't even play the full season. He played 14 games that season, right? No, he had a 16 game year. Oh, that was the yeah, 2018. Yeah. He had 13 yeah. and a half in 2018. Yeah. Okay. So he played all 16 games that year. So that's what he needs to do. He needs to play all 17 games. And if he can do that, then I think he can get your 20 sacks that you're talking about, Ellis. He can do that. There are going to be some games where he has three sacks. There are going to be guys that cannot handle him at all. Could happen in Kansas City. Could happen in Kansas City. We've got three guys potentially starting this game that have never played an NFL snap. You don't think Miles is going to take full advantage of that? He can have four sacks this game. You never know. I mean, that'll be hard to do because Patrick's mobile and he can get away and all that kind of stuff. But just from a matchup standpoint, they're going to be overmatched by this defensive line in this game. So I say, yeah, Dan, I, I like where you're going with that. Right. I got some supporters on this one. All right, let's do another round of these. Mary Kay, what have you got? All right, I'm just going to, I'm going to choose a name that's a little different. Somebody that we haven't talked about yet. I'm going to head down the depth chart a little bit. And I am going to make a bold prediction that Mr. Speedster, Anthony Schwartz, has five, scores five touchdowns this year. Five touchdowns. Doesn't all have to be catches. It can be however he can get his way into the end zone. But I'm giving him five. Too so under. Too low? What you guys under. Think? I'll take the under. Yeah, I was taking the under on that too. <laughs> I, I'm going to take a push. I think he gets five exactly. <laughs> Saw that coming, didn't you? Um, I like this one because, in it likely is because I have the Chiefs Browns game just drilled in my head. I'm, I'm about halfway through the third quarter on the rewatch, and it is just painfully obvious how slow the Browns are in that game. Uh, sideline to sideline, vertical stretching the field. The Chiefs played press man, did not respect anything they were doing behind the line of scrimmage, any of their motions did not feel threatened deep at all by that trio of receivers I keep talking about. And that's exactly what you bring Anthony Schwartz in to do is to completely change the dynamic and speed of your group. And to make him be respected, you're going to have to actually put the ball in his hands. You're going to have to put him on the field, which is then how he creeps towards a five touchdown mark. I think it's possible because he is the receiver on this team aside from Odell, but Odell always has attention on him. You can't sneak him or window dress him anywhere in a formation. Anthony's going to come in with the idea that, okay, he's a speedster, but prove it. And you trust Chad O'Shea, you trust his development and you just trust the the brain work of Kevin Stefanski to put him in positions to flex that speed and then eventually capitalize on it. And five's a number where you give him some gadget stuff and maybe he finds a way to return a kick. Who knows? We just got to get to five, right, Mary Kay? And that'll be a push. And, and I like it because that's why you brought him in here. That's my point. You brought him in here because of his speed. Now use it. Well, I knew five was a high number, um, but it wouldn't be bold if I had picked four. Because yeah, like, four, like three is boring. Like, yeah, three is boring. Say, oh, this guy's going to score three touchdowns. Okay. Four is almost yeah. a little boring. 
Um, so I had to go with five, you know, just to kind of shake it up here a little bit. But, you know, I could see because of his incredible speed, I could see maybe one on a reverse, one on a jet sweep, maybe one on some kind of return if he goes that route, and a couple on go routes. So again, I agree, five is a high number, but I think they're gonna wanna use that speed. And if his hands are as good as they have looked lately to me in practice, they might be onto something with him. That's the only yeah. part that, that worries me is the hands. I still see a few of those drops going through individuals and things like that. And that's the only thing that, that really kind of worries me that maybe he gets out open for that fifth touchdown. Right. And he just, he can't haul it in, but I, I like it. I'm, I might take the under, but I think it's going to be close. Minor detail on the hands, Dan. I mean, really. <laughs> They've gotten better since we first saw them. <laughs> yeah, they have. I mean, I, I took the under on this because only two people had more than four touchdowns for the Browns last year. Total touchdowns. I don't know if he's going to get on the field enough to threaten that. Um, but I think he he's a he's a great candidate to score touchdowns in multiple ways for sure. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I understand what you're saying there, Scott, with the, the only the four guys. But it's like they didn't really get themselves rolling until kind of the second half of the season. You know, I mean, I feel like this season they're going to hit the ground running. And so there will be a little bit more to go around. But, I mean, we can't get, like Doug mentioned, we can't have Nick with 17 rushing touchdowns and Anthony Schwartz with five touchdowns and blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it, there's probably not going to be that many touchdowns to go around. But nonetheless, the point well taken here that I think Anthony Schwartz is going to make a bigger impact this season than some people might realize. I still, I would listen to a six hour podcast about how you guys think the Browns are going to divvy up the receiver snaps because I can't wait to see it. Who is he going to get on the field instead of is, is offensively like who's, who are they taking out of the game to be like, well, here's where we got to get Anthony Schwartz on the field because I don't know. Schwartz to me still feels like a future pick. Like whatever you get, unless you're Odell gets hurt or something, like the way DPJ got in last year. Then, and I know he was picked higher than DPJ. Then I see it. But if the if the other receivers stay relatively healthy, I, I I'm just I'm fascinated how they use him because is he not their fifth receiver? You know I'm what though? That. I'll I'll say this: they they were getting JoJo Natson on the field last year. Mm -hmm. And I think he brings you, I think defenses are going are way less concerned about Jojo Natson than they will be about Anthony Schwartz. I, I mean, I, th I think you can get some of those snaps for Schwartz on some of those end arounds, jet sweeps, whatever, things like that. Some of that eye candy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think maybe those are some of the snaps that go Schwartz. Yeah. He played he, nine snaps in three games. No, but he it wasn't much. <laughs> yeah. Her, here, here's, here's how you do it. You put, I've said this, I've been saying this for several weeks. You want to get Odell Beckham Jr. and Anthony Schwartz on the field at the same time, okay? You want double trouble. You want two guys with tremendous speed because generally teams aren't going to have two defensive backs that can keep up with two guys, or if they do, I mean, it's still going to be hard. So you want that double speed on the field in the same way that the Chiefs are going to throw Tyreek Hill and McCall Hardman at you, okay? It's, it's, it's tough to handle that kind of speed. So I will 
put Jarvis, Odell, and Anthony Schwartz on the field at times. And I will have great fun doing that. And I can't wait to see it. Yeah, they've got they've got five receivers with ex- vastly different skill sets, or at least what they do best. And that makes you think you see more 11, you see a more diverse grouping, but that goes back to what I said about the usage when Doug brought up the 80 yards per game for Odell. If Odell and Jarvis just dominate the snap counts like they had the, their past two years in Cleveland, then this becomes more challenging. But I think the da- most dangerous version and the most unpredictable version of this Browns offense would be rotating these receivers more than we've seen these past two years. And, and keep this in mind, Rashard for as, as good as, as good as Rashard is and as great as his chemistry is, he doesn't necessarily have a distinguishing characteristic except for the fact that he catches the ball, he runs good routes, and he's, he's just really good and solid and he scores the football. So that's good. Donovan Peoples-Jones, really, really good. But Anthony Schwartz has a distinguishing trait and that is his speed. And that's what they're going to seek to get on the field. And that is why they drafted him in the third round. I mean, I, the, you know, people were speculating, is Anthony Schwartz going to make the football team? I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? He was drafted in the third round. Uh, when you draft a third rounder, there's like a little formula. I mean, first rounders start, second rounders generally start, and third rounders contribute for you usually in a significant way in their first season. So I just think you find a way to get that kind of speed on the field, even if you have to take a Richard off and you have to take a Donovan Peoples-Jones off and you go Jarvis, Odell, and Anthony at times. So Mary Kay, I, I looked this up. I'm going to throw this right back in your face. You say, oh, McCall Hardman, he's a speed guy, right? He's right. a comparison for Anthony Schwartz. I, I just looked it up. McCall Hardman as a rookie, guess how many touchdowns he scored? Six, six. So you're right. I, I went to go get the stat <laughs> to prove myself right. And instead, I proved Mary Kay right, but I still <laughs> use the stat because I'm an honest person. Because I was like, well, okay, let's you. Oh, oh, point for Mary Kay. <laughs> I didn't even know that. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's just that's proper podcasting. Comparison. Yeah, that's just proper podcasting etiquette. Well done, Doug. It's the podcaster's oath. I take it very seriously. <laughs> there you go. All right, uh, Scott, you're up. All right, I'm, I'm sorry, Ellis, I might be stealing this from you. I know you've Go talked about it, it before, but I'm, I'm going to say David Njoku ends up with the most targets and establishes himself as the best tight end on this team this season. Uh, now, that would be quite a jump for him. Uh, Austin Hooper had 70 targets last season, second on the team, and David Njoku was far below that. He was uh, – my screen froze up. Well, he had much less, but the big thing was he had 20 of his 35 targets over the last six games they played, and that includes the playoffs. So he obviously got on track there at the end, and they definitely trusted him. Uh, And I mentioned before how he kind of came out with the best blocking grades out of that trio. Uh, So I think this is the year that he kind of builds off his good training camp and kind of establishes himself as, as the guy. Yeah, if we think yeah, that the yeah, Browns' yeah. offense is going to carry from what we saw in those after the bye 
into the Steelers game into the playoff run, then David Njoku is a perfect candidate to pick up where he left off as well. They they unlocked him in a way. He he found a role. They started getting the ball closer to the line of scrimmage and then letting him do things downfield with it, which this team needs a, a lot more of. And then on the eye test and the tape doesn't lie with what we saw in, in training camp and in parts of the preseason. David Njoku's in a spot to supplant Austin Hooper. The things that are in David's way perhaps are more contract related and just opportunity with Austin coming in as the the number one guy. And it seems like they're going to give him every chance to retain and hold on to that spot, despite the the storm coming. That is David Njoku. I've been long saying, as you guys know, uh, I've said it a million times and I know you guys are really sick of it by now. Um, But it bears repeating right now because of the topic we're talking about that I think David Njoku is an eight touchdown a year tight end. That's what I see in him based on his ability to outmuscle smaller defensive backs to go up now and high point the ball and actually come down with the ball. And he's concentrating through the catch. In, uh, as you could see in that one one-handed catch he made uh, in one-on-one with Jabril Peppers against the Giants that day. You guys remember the catch that I'm talking about down the right sideline there. I mean, he hung on and basically made a a one-handed catch, falling and tumbling to the ground. Two years ago, David Njoku doesn't make that catch, okay? So he has really improved. He has improved considerably as a receiver. So therefore, and I think he's a pretty good blocker, like you guys said. So therefore, I think he's a more dangerous weapon. I think he's the most dangerous tight end on this offense. Uh, if, If I had to pick... David or Austin Hooper to catch the game winning touchdown pass in the red zone. I'm going David Njoku right now, but as Ellis mentioned, I do think that they have still have a commitment. They're not ready to give up on Austin Hooper yet. They made a big financial commitment. He's making 10 and a half million dollars a year. And they still like some of the things that he does really well. Maybe some things that he does better than David. Um, So I don't know how that's going to shake out. I don't know who's going to get, the opportunities. It's, it's like I said, I, I know, I think David is, is more than capable of eight touchdowns a year, but I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity to catch eight touchdowns here in this offense. He should. I absolutely think that he should. We will see if he does. Now, how do you feel about David Njoku? Who did you ask? You asked me? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I agree with what everybody said. It feels weird. Again, it's like on the list of who's going to get theirs, right? It feels like he's going to get his. And I continue to be fascinated by the guys on this very good football team who have not yet shown everything they can be. And I think there are a lot of guys on that list. And he's one of those guys on that list. But if this it's, I'm going to say a negative thing when it's my turn because we're so, I mean, we've been overwhelmingly positive for months because there are a million different reasons to be. You can make yourself feel like a crazy person sometimes because, and this is, this is not about, Oh, the same old Browns. Cause we're, that, that whole conversation is just so dead right now. Nobody's talking about that, but it's just, there's so many positive things. It's like, well, everything can't go right. But it's like, oh, so this guy, he's going to be like a great red zone threat in a world where tight ends are game changers. And he's been this great talent 
that has never really found it yet, he's going to find it in addition to all this other stuff. It can make you feel nuts. So that pulls me back from Njoku sometimes, right? But the football part of it, he was super young when they drafted him. He's had a weird kind of up and down thing. As Mary Kay and everybody, all you guys have detailed a million times. I don't think there would be anything holding him back from any of this peak that everybody's talking about. But to add a tight end with that kind of talent, who's a real threat, is like, again, I, it levels up the Browns offense in, in another way. I will clarify one thing. I'm not saying David Njoku is going to get 70 targets like Hooper got last year. I think it's going to be more balanced. It's going to be a lower number for whoever leads the tight ends and targets because I think Njoku will be ready to go from the jump, unlike he was last year. And I think that's how he, you know, establishes himself ahead of Hooper. It's, it's not going to be that, you know, that 40 target gap that we saw. It's not going to be reversed. I think it's more close, but I think Njoku comes out of this year as the better guy. All right. So Doug, bring us down. What's your, what's your negative? Bring us down. He says, I, I feel Every like there's, there. there's only one area where you can safely be negative about the Browns right now. Right. And it's kicker. So I'm going to say my bold pick is that the Browns will have three kickers this year. Cause I don't think this guy's it. And I think they'll scramble and they won't quite find the guy and they can't settle. They can't settle. So I think they are going to be like on hyper alert. And I think it's quite possible that in the search for a guy, they lose a game because of the kicker, which we have seen in somewhat recent years here. And I just, I just don't think he's it. He's been on like nine teams. Like I, I don't even think they think he's it. He's Mr. He's not Mr. Right. He's Mr. Right now. And so they are con- going to continue to look. And what usually happens, there's going to be a better kicker, a more established kicker who hits a rut, whose team is going to be like, eh, done with that guy, right? Like a w- whatever weird thing. And the Browns are going to be like, well, he's more talented than the guy we have. And they're going to bring him in. And then that guy's get. I just think it's going to be maybe the one point on the roster where there's a lot of flux and they can't give up. They, they have to they have to keep working to find the right guy every single week because they're good enough that a kicker might be the difference between getting it done and not getting it done. Well, the, I mean, the big news is somebody finally came out and said Chase McLaughlin's our kicker, and all it took was, like, game week to arrive, and you had to have a kicker. So yeah. there's that. He's got that going for him. But I'm, I'm kind of with you, Doug. I don't know that he's – unless he just comes out and doesn't miss, I, I'm not convinced he's the guy either. You know, anytime your kicker misses an extra point in the final preseason game, that makes me nervous. <laughs> like, I don't think that guy would be my kicker heading into the, the regular season. Like, you miss an extra point, no, I'm sorry. I'm finding somebody else right away. I, I agree with you. I don't know if there will be three, but I think there's going to at least be two. And I think the second one could very well be Cody Parkey. He's eligible to return to this team in the second quarter of the season, three weeks after his injury settlement is up. I think uh, it was a pretty tight race between those two when he got injured. Um, so there's a chance he could come back, but if not, it'll be somebody else. I mean, you, you just can't, you can't go missing, missing extra points. So. If, if Nick Chubb's scoring 17 touchdowns and Baker's <laughs> throwing for 35, they're not going to need any last minute field goals, but no, 
I think having multiple kickers would certainly hold with the trend because since 2014, I believe, no Browns kicker has made it past the second game of his second season. So this is just like I've said before, they need a new jersey. Instead of quarterback names, it should be kicker names because they, they'd have a lot of names on that jersey since like 2012 or whenever Phil Dawson was last year. Uh, yeah, I totally think that's that's a possibility. I, I mean, I think – McLaughlin's made like 76% of his kicks, which is not great. Better than Lou Groza, by the way, who only made 55% of his kicks. I didn't have the heart to tell Terry Pluto that during our kickoff show. <laughs> so I let that slide, but, uh, but the guy's in the Hall of Fame, so what do I know? Yeah, I and, and, Go ahead, Alice. Yeah, th- I'm just, this kicking dilemma is going to, like y'all are saying, carry probably through the first quarter of the season, if not halfway through it. And to me, that means Kevin Stefanski is going to have to modify his game plan slightly week to week understanding that it'd be advantageous for his offense to be more aggressive. Those fourth and sixes, those fourth and fives, probably maybe even in their own territory at times, they're going to have to go for, they're going to have to pass on 45 yard field goals and hope to keep the drive going because putting ending a drive with no points based on a kicker that you don't feel confident in, it sounds like male practice when you have the type of offense you're loaded with. Right. So in a way, this could be a beneficial situation for the Browns in being more aggressive in staying away from the 20 play 80 yard, 10 minute drives and and trying to be more fast break and up tempo and attacking and knowing your offense is just going to have to score these touchdowns and get to, you know, 30, 35 points, regardless and keep it out of your kicker kicking hands and don't play these close games Uh, that's not how any coach wants to approach a game plan by phasing someone out in a way but you you almost have to protect yourself from this situation due to the tough break you had with Cody Parkey's injury let's go for two there you go go for it on fourth down go for two the Browns know this I'm waiting for all this to wind back around to Zane Gonzalez at some point so well You've got the Austin Cyber Zane Gonzalez pairing up in Detroit right now. Yeah. So who knows? It could all come back to, to Cleveland in a few weeks. Um, okay. Uh, Ellis, you're up with your second one. Yeah, this is uh, more narrative driven. I think it was a, a good, it would have complimented Scott's well, or no, excuse me, Dan, yours well, uh, when you were talking about Miles Garrett winning defensive player of the year and then how Scott said so much of this is, is narrative driven. And that's this, I'm going to walk us through the Browns first quarter of the year. Uh, I have them winning the opener and then following up wins uh, against the Bears, Texans, and Vikings. Baker Mayfield will generate early MVP buzz, having thrown nine or ten touchdowns and only one interception. That early momentum keeps them in the race for the number one seed all year. And then we'll put Baker, Miles Garrett, and the Browns as a team in those top spots. Baker chasing MVP, Miles chasing defensive player of the year, and the Browns constantly chasing a number one seed and that doesn't happen without the fast start and and you see often that those narratives can carry you through a season and the Browns are primed to be that team this year kicking off with a win in the opener and then a, a softer four games if you will uh, getting them to that 4-0 mark and then once you're undefeated for that long and you're, the numbers bow the way they do this team is going to be one of the teams to watch of that big three or four all year if the Browns beat the Chiefs when do they lose again I, if we're going off my schedule, I, I, I have them losing in Los Angeles, but it, I, that's the point. I mean, it, it really wouldn't – who can't they beat then? It, it's that simple. Say it. 
Just say it, Alice. Say 20 and 0. Say it. Seven, 17 and 0. I don't do playoff predictions, but I'll give you 17 and 0. Okay. <laughs> all right. So there we go. Um, all right. Are we good on that one? I'll throw out my last one, I guess, because it kind of goes hand in hand with Ellis's. Again, something I've said before is in my prediction post. We're going to end on a super positive here. The Browns are going to win the North. I, nothing has shaken me from that belief that the Browns are, are going to finally win their division. I believe it would be their first division title since they won the Central in like, I can't remember. I looked this up. It was like 88 or something like that. Um, but they're going to win their first ever AFC North title this year. I, I think they are, you know, I think the Steelers, even if they surprise, are probably at best a nine or 10 win team. I think the Ravens are kind of searching right now. They'll be good. The Ravens are going to be good because of the Ravens, but they've got some injury issues right now. They might get off to a slow start. Ellis, like you said, the Browns could get off to a fast start. And I think that's going to be the cushion they need uh, to win the North. You know, the, the thing to, to keep remembering here in the AFC North is the Browns were so lucky to finish third in the AFC North, just so lucky and to end up with the third place schedule. The Steelers and the Ravens have really, really, tough schedules this season. Uh, the Browns have, as we've talked about before, according to, to Sharp Football, Warren Sharp, uh, the third easiest schedule in the NFL. We'll see how that works out. But, um, but it also seems to me like the Ravens are sort of not team destiny this year. Like they're getting off to a really rocky start. It started out with Lamar going on the COVID-19 reserve list. That's tough when you're quarterback misses a bunch of a chunk of training camp like that that's a tough way to have camp and then to lose jk dobbins that's big okay i mean that's the equivalent of the browns i mean jk dobbins isn't nick chubb but i mean it 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 would be like the browns losing one of those guys in the context of your own football team and then they lose their their number two running back and now they're scrambling around trying to find a running back right i mean they just don't seem like team destiny this it seems like the it's the house of cards is falling for them a little bit now they're so well coached and they're such a good organization that they know how to overcome adversity and John Harbaugh is so good at what he does he's like Kevin Stefanski he can take all that adversity and have his guys overcome it he's that good but it just seems like they are I don't know it just seems like they're they're springing leaks everywhere I just think the Browns are in firm in firm position to win the AFC North. And the Browns seem like that team of destiny this year. The, the, even the defense is, it finally seems fully healthy. And that momentum the Ravens have been riding now seems to have shifted. And, of course, that's why they play the games. But it, it, everything seems to be coming together. We just did an hour podcast of all positivity, quite frankly. And, and, and that leans towards this team being the team of destiny as the Ravens handle their, their turbulence. Yeah, the third place schedule got them the Patriots, the Texans, and the Cardinals. Yep. If they finish second, they're playing the Dolphins, the Rams, the Colts. That's, that's yeah, quite an yeah. upgrade on, on three teams right there, for sure. And with all things that the uh, Ravens are going through, starting to rethink my 10-7 and seven, uh, prediction for the season, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think I had them winning. I think they'll win the North. Um, and yeah, just with everything the Ravens are going through right now, I, I mean, they're the only team that I consider that is the main threat here. I don't think the Steelers will be that. I don't think the Bengals are there yet. Uh, 
thing working in the Ravens' favor is they don't play the Browns until late in the season. Maybe things are, you know, it's a better situation at that point, but um, maybe they're, you know, they fall off and are so far behind to start off, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think that that third place schedule can sometimes be a little overrated, but with that 17th game, it really helps the Browns because they're playing, the, the North plays the two best divisions in football this year, both of the West divisions. And the Browns get the worst team in the NFC West. Now the Cardinals are still a good team, but they're not the, they're the worst team in that division of the other, of the four. And they get the, uh, they, well, I guess they get the whole, uh, the whole AFC West, but that's the one where it really helps them is the Cardinals and not having to play the Rams, the 49ers or the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It, it's the Ravens since they won the Super Bowl. the Ravens have only, I mean, this, they're very good, but they've only won more than 11 games once in the last eight years. They had the unbelievable Lamar takes over as the full-time starter. They go 14 and two. He wins the MVP. It's an awesome season, but they're, I mean, they're good, but they were 11 and five last year, three years ago, they were a 10 win team. Like they're, you know, they're not the Patriots at, at, in the, their dynasty mode. You know what I mean? Like they, they had, and that's the one thing in the end that I think about with the Browns a lot that they have a lot of base talent, obviously, and they have competent coaching and a competent front office, but they also, I think, have not peaked in a lot of ways. I don't think they've gotten lucky in a lot of ways. I don't think they've had a lot of magic happen in a lot of ways. And when you start, like Josh Allen had sort of a peak magical year last year. That Baker's year, like Josh Allen's year last year, is ahead of him. It's coming. Josh Allen's not going to make an equal jump again this year. He already made his jump. You know, the 14-2 and two magical Ravens year of two years ago, like the Browns are due for a year like that. That they've done a lot of the stuff they did last year they did without things going perfectly. They did it with Miles getting COVID and Baker being shaky in the first half and Nick Chubb missing four games and a defense that they completely rebuilt. Like that, that there's so much substance here, but there, there's reason to expect some good fortune on top of it. And that's why when you say stuff like this, Dan and Dan, you make a pick for them to just go to the Super Bowl. You know, you can't say a team is due or whatever. But they've earned every step that they've taken to get here so far. They've earned it. They've done it with blood and sweat and tears and smart decisions and the pain of one in 31. Throw a little luck on this thing and let's see what happens. It really could be a year to remember. By the way, we we talked a lot about the Browns strength of schedule last year. Look up the Ravens wins a year ago. There's not a lot impressive there. You know, the AFC North, the whole, the AFC North as a whole benefited from that schedule, but. To get to 11 and five, the Ravens had to win out. They beat Dallas. They had that barn burner against the Browns. And then they finished with Jacksonville, New York, and Cincinnati. So they needed a lot of schedule help just to get to 11 wins. And you know, when we talk about that strength of schedule, it does make a difference when you don't have to play the best defenses uh, in, in the NFL. I mean, last year, some of the, you know, the Browns had some easier games and they definitely you know, they definitely played a lot of inferior defenses down the stretch, which is, which leads to some of the reason why Scott, you've talked about regression and some of the things with the point differential. Um, But I just think, I just don't, I just don't see them kind of crumbling or falling apart. And I think the big key uh, is going to be in the AFC North is going to be the Baltimore by Baltimore stretch. That's where the AFC North will be one in those three weeks and Baltimore has to go 
to Pittsburgh on the road in between there. And that's where I think uh, they will take their separate paths and the Browns will ascend and kind of uh, move towards clinching it. And, and the Ravens are going to kind of stumble there a little bit. All right. Yeah, to be, I was going to say, and to be clear, regression doesn't necessarily mean you get worse. It just means you don't have as good of a record. So I expect the Browns to be better this season for sure. Um, I just not sure they're going to, you know, better them, better their record of last season. And just as a reminder, people know this, but I always like to, to look at things this way. That first Ravens game on a Sunday night is the day after the Ohio State Michigan game. So it is an Ohio Harbaugh weekend <laughs> to remember. Like that is going to be some awesome football. All right. We did it. Our first round table of the 2021 season. Uh, we'll be bringing these to you on Wednesday. Uh, Got to watch the tape. We'll be coming on Thursdays. And then we'll be bringing you kind of a game preview on Fridays. There's going to be a little bit of a different slant to it, but we're going to get, uh, get you all the information you need to get you ready for the games uh, on Fridays. So uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. For Doug Ellis, Scott, and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.